epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Back again here on the Hangtime Podcast. Seku Smith in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann in New Jersey, hiding out at the Lair. Division previews. Should we've run through the entire league except for the mighty Southwest Division. And here we are, knocking this one out, the final piece to the NBA puzzle for the 2018-19 season. And we got to start right away, Shu. Let's just dig in automatically on the Houston Rockets. Are they doing it or not this year? Let's cut the crap. Are they winning this thing? Are they going to get back to the conference finals and finish what they started? Or are they still a clear number two behind the Warriors to you? Well, they're a clear number two behind the Warriors. Mm -hmm. Carmelo doesn't sway this for you. (laughs) (laughs) I will say this. He adds some a little bit of a new element offensively, mm-hmm. right? I think primarily he will be a catch-and-shoot jumper. But in an emergency, he can create a shot. Like late shot clock situation, the ball's in his hands. He will do a better job of creating a shot than anybody other than, you know, James Harden and Chris Paul on their roster, either this year or, or last year. And if you look at the conference finals last year, there was a bigger drop on offense than on defense with this team. And so maybe having a... There was a Titanic drop in Game 7 when Trevor Ariza couldn't make a shot. Correct. He basically could not make... He missed every shot he took. Yeah, so I think if you look at it optimistically, maybe he is just an extra degree of something different offensively. Last year, he only shot 37% on catch-and-shoot threes, which was 75th of 100 players that took at least 200. Mm -hmm. So that's not exactly FIBA mellow torching. But it's contextual, right? I mean, he's not playing in the situation he was in. True, true. You think that Harden and Paul will get him cleaner, more in-rhythm looks, and hopefully he cuts down some of the mid-range. Hopefully he cuts out some of the -the off-the-dribble shots that he takes. Um, If you look at Ariza, I mean, the guy only shot off the catch and he only shot threes. Like he took basically one mid-range jumper all of last season. And it was he was, you know, Maury Ball to the extreme. Right. So it's about finishing the job, right? They had 17 point lead early in game six, 15 point lead early in game seven. With Chris Paul on the sideline. Yeah, yeah. They were, until through Game 5 of the conference finals, they were 56-2 and two when they, in games they led by at least 15. Wow. And then they went 0-2 in Game 6 and 7. So, obviously, those leads were very early in the game, and mm-hmm. they were against the best team in the league, obviously. You know, no team can erase a 17-point deficit or a 15-point deficit easier than the Warriors can, but... I can see why Houston looks at that and says, man, we were right there. there. We were right there. I mean, nobody knows if Chris Paul was healthy, what would have happened. But you've got to look back at that and say, you know, we're still there, you know. And even though Ariza and Mbamute were important for these guys, I mean, just as far as versatility and defense. And so we're going to find out soon enough if the defense holds up. I don't have a talent question about the Rockets, Shoe. I have a chemistry question. And it's not even as um, as much about can you make Melo work as a six man or how does he fit with Harden and CP3. My question is, are they going to experience a bigger loss because of the personnel or their defensive chemistry because they don't have two guys who were integral to the defense and Jeff Bizdelic? 
Because that's what changed about them last year to me. Yeah. You know, Harden's going to get buckets. You knew they were going to be a good offensive team. Eric Gordon scoring off the bench the way he does. They had the offense until they didn't, of course, in Game 7. But it was their defensive prowess that made them a different monster that, to me, was the force behind a 65-17 and 17 season. Best record in the league, home court advantage in the conference finals. Does that energy go away because of the losses? We'll see. I think they're going to have to ask James Ennis and even Marquise Chris to be something they haven't been yet in their career. And so we'll see. I mean, Ennis is 28. Chris is only 21. He had two of the most incredible blocks I've ever seen last year. And so I think that's a big part of any optimism is believing those guys can step into roles and be more than what they've been so far. Right. But of course, on the other end of the spectrum, I mean, they age is a question with Paul, who's 33, Anthony, who's 34, and P.J. Tucker's 33, you know? And so is there drop-off at all with those three guys? With Melo, we've already seen it, but with Chris Paul and, and P.J. Tucker, you know, two of their most important players are each 33 years old, and we'll see if that's a factor this season. I think there's a lingering feeling out there, too, that maybe last year was their high water. Like, maybe they had their opportunity, that window was there last year, for the Game 7 on your home floor, we've seen this before, Shu, where that team that's supposed to be next never gets back to it. They never find that sweet spot, that opportunity they had again. No team should be hungrier, though. I think as much of a numbers guy as I am, I do think hunger sort of takes a is a factor. Mm-hmm. You know, we see it from playoff series game to game where the more desperate team just plays better. But also, I think from season to season, you could see, you know, we saw it with the Warriors last year where they just weren't, you know, the regular season team that they had been in the past because it was their fourth year going through it. Question is now is like, does Houston go in cruise control a little bit in the regular season and more focus on being healthier and have more gas in the tank in the playoffs. Ariza wasn't the only one who shot poorly in the right. in the playoff. Harden basically has not been the same player in the postseason, sure. not just last year, but in years before, as he has been in the regular season. Do they focus on, as far as his load and his you know, days off and minutes, do they put a bigger priority on April and May for him than they, than they have in the past? I don't know if you can do that as a group. Like, maybe for him specifically, but as a team, to me, you haven't won anything yet if you're Houston. You haven't earned the right to approach the regular season differently. Like, you, you still gotta, you're still chasing. Yeah. To me, you got to go right back in there and try and get the number one seed again. You've already lost a game seven on your home floor in the conference finals to the Warriors. What makes you think you're going to be good enough if you got to go on the road in the conference finals and steal one like that? And I know they won. The series was awesome. Fantastic basketball. Watching what a lot of people said was the real finals, according to a lot of those biased West Coast observers. But I don't know that they've earned the right to manage the regular season that way yet, just as a group. I need the younger, I need the Marquise Christians of the world to push in some of those younger guys and guys who haven't been there yet to bring the energy and provide that grind necessary to chase another 60-plus win season if I'm Houston. I think Mike D'Antoni needs that. I don't think I don't think it behooves him at all to try and take a measured approach. They got to go for it again because, to me, as long as the Warriors are intact, you don't have any room for error if you're Houston or any other challenger in the Western Conference. I don't disagree with how much they're paying Chris Paul and James Harden over the next four or five years. Those are the two guys they got to keep healthy, right? Right. Yeah, everybody. And I understand yeah, that. If, yeah. I understand your point about pushing it, but they still got to keep those two guys. Yes, they have so much invested in them that they have to keep them healthy and fresh. And especially with Harden, they got to figure out a way where he's playing his best basketball in April and May, and not January and February. And Harden had a lot going on. I mean, he's won his first key MVP. You know, they're having that unbelievable season. CP's first season in Houston. 
I'm just saying there some of these other guys are gonna have to provide the fuel to help you get through a long regular season. Michael Carter Williams, somebody has to bring some energy, some fresh, legit energy. Like he's got to go out there and play quality minutes where you can give those guys a breather. I think that's been the masterful stroke that Steve Kerr has has really used to his advantage the past few years. It's just they're gonna have one of those young guys or they're gonna have a Quinn Cook or somebody playing big minutes at some point during a regular season. You know, the way Patrick McCall did or somebody. It's just, it doesn't have to be forever. It doesn't have to be 35 minutes a night. But I'm saying you got to have somebody giving you that boost every now and then when you need it. If you're talking about being a championship team that plays till the end of the playoffs. It's just, I just don't know how you get through that if you're the Rockets without somebody bringing that extra kinetic energy you need to get through that. I don't know who it is. Shoot, I'm not sure who you look at and say, this is the guy. Because they don't, it's not like they've got four and five young guys on their bench who are developing players who are trying to get minutes. I mean, they've got a relatively established team, and it's not as easy to look and go, who are our development players that we can get, you know, pockets of a season where we can get time for them and quality game minutes for them to take some of that load off. I guess Chris is the only one. Marquise yeah. Chris is the only one. And like I said, he's 21. And the other thing is, you know what? Maybe Marquise Chris in Houston is different than Marquise Chris in Phoenix. Sure. You know, maybe Marquise Chris in a much better system and in a much more stable environment is better than Marquise Chris in what has been, you know, one of the worst teams in the league in the last few years. So there's optimism there. And maybe that's it. And and I don't know if Capella has more room to grow, but obviously he's developed incredibly over the last yes. two or three years. And if he has another step to go, and that's well, there you there you go. Yeah, I'll also be curious to see if things don't go as planned with the group they have. Does Daryl Morey do some tinkering? In the course of the season, does he get to the trade deadline and make a move? I'm sure he's ready to tinker at, at any moment, you know, and I'm sure with Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, when we're recording this, Jimmy Butler's still on the block. He's talking to Minnesota with a sure. package probably centered around Eric Gordon. Right. I don't like the idea of losing Eric Gordon, by the way. To me, there's some obvious benefits to having certain guys in certain roles on a championship caliber team. And I thought Eric Gordon played his role to perfection. Curious. I still wonder, though, was last season their high water mark and do they not get back to that level? That's the one thing about them I'll be watching. Do they have another gear they can go to, be it not just regular season, but in the playoffs? Can they go to that next level with the different players they have now on that roster in Houston? One team, shoe that I'm not confident that they're going to go to that next level is New Orleans Pelicans, a team that finished 48 and 34 last year and then got in the playoffs and shocked everybody by just manhandling Portland. They do have Anthony Davis, who has made it clear he's on that same grind right now that Harden and Russell Westbrook and, and some of these guys who have won MVP awards the past few years have been in that he's trying to cement himself as elite level top two, three player in the league that he thinks he is. But the Pelicans lost two guys who could play huge you know, roles on teams that could very well squeeze them in the playoffs. Or in, and in one case, Rondo going to the Lakers, that's a team that could challenge for a playoff spot. They move up in the rankings in the West and perhaps the Pelicans slide down. Do they have enough in New Orleans to justify this thought that they're going to be a surefire playoff team? Or do you think there's work to be done? I wouldn't say surefire, mm -hmm. I think, but I would favor them over a couple other teams that are sort of in that 4 to 10 range in the West. Mm -hmm. Would you favor them over the Lakers? <sighs> That's a good question. I don't know. I mm -hmm. mean, I really don't know how Randall is going to fit. I am encouraged by the way Anthony Davis played after the Cousins injury last year. You know, up until that point, I always thought that there was just something missing, like an extra gear with him that was missing. And I thought he hit it at the end of last season. Yeah. And so I think if he has a full season like he played the last couple months of last season, 
that could be huge. I mean, that could be what keeps them in, say, the four, five, six mix in the Western Conference. But, you know, I think the big question is, does Randall fit with Davis? Does he fit with Nikola Mirotic? Is that a three big man rotation that works fairly seamlessly? Or is there issues with that? Because the fit with Davis, I have a question with because Davis is a, a, a heavy sort of mid-range shooter. Yeah. And Randall is basically everything's in the paint. And so I question how the spacing will be with those two guys on the floor together if they can or if they get in each other's way. I like getting Solomon Hill back. Mm-hmm. You know, if he has a bounce back, I mean, remember he barely played last year. He just played at the very end of the year and, and was not great when he did. So that's an, another guy that gives them some versatility and some spacing. Yeah. You know what's weird about it? AD played so well with Boogie. I have less concerns about how he and Randall fit after seeing how well he and Boogie played together. Boogie spaced the floor more than he Julius did. Randall did. Randall works from the elbows in, and yes. that's it. But you I think know, this allows AD to stretch maybe a little bit more now. I hope so. I mean, I think he does need to turn some mid-range shots into threes Yes, with his shot selection. So that would be great. I'll be curious as to how it, it works out. And then Miritich obviously is more of a space. So like Davis has got to be versatile. He's got to be yeah. a spacer with Randall, but then a, a more of an inside presence with Miritich. It'll be interesting to see. One thing that went a little bit under the radar last year is Etwan Moore and, and Darius Miller were good shooters. And if they continue to shoot well, this isn't as bad of a shooting team as it may seem on the surface. And then obviously Drew Holiday has to have, you know, he has to... He can be an all-star. He in, can. In, in, in and he, I mean, he, yeah. that series against Portland, he was incredible. Unbelievable. And so if we see Holiday and Davis play like they did late in the season last year, this is still a very good team. Yeah. I will say this now. I think Jaleel Local if he's used properly and he's locked in and kind of transformed himself the way some people think he has, he could be a real surprise, you know, for that team. I think he could be a guy who plays an impact role. Off that bench. I'll believe it when I see it. I know. I'm just saying. He's I got, think two, he's got two strikes against him already, and I think, you know. <laughs> yeah, I just think. But we'll see. Sometimes the fit is what it needs to be. And I like Alvin Gentry working some of his magic with a guy like that. The San Antonio Spurs shoe. We've all kind of wondered what they would be like in the aftermath of the Timmy, Manu, Tony era. And we always assumed that it would be Kawhi Leonard leading the charge. Now that Kawhi is gone after nine games with the Spurs last year, we have a terrible history as a group, the NBA media. I never counted them out. Never, never won. Not even counted them out, but just overlooking them a lot of times. Now you would think we've got a legitimate opportunity to overlook them with cause. And I'm scared to do it. I'm thinking this might be the Western Conference team that gets on the horse and rides it and shocks people because of all that they've lost in the chip on the shoulder of the guys who are still there. Namely, DeMar DeRozan, who got traded from his beloved Toronto and now has to kind of reinvent his game in a different conference. But do you have a feeling either way yet about what direction this Spurs team might be headed? That's a good question. The assumption is that they're going a little bit downhill Mm -hmm. because of the pieces they lost defensively. But also the age of some of their guys, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Gasol I, still has to play a decent sized role with this team. Rudy Gay. Right. You know, we've talked about it before that the big question for me is to Rosen and Aldridge and whether if they're cohesive as an offensive tandem, whether they can play off of each other or mm-hmm. if it's a your turn, my turn thing. And then obviously DeJounte Murray is a huge X factor. This guy, we know he's a terrific defender. Right. But offensively, he was poor. And there's no way to say it. He has been poor. His effective field goal percentage on shots from outside the paint last year was 34%, which wow. is brutal. Yeah. And in 81 games last year, he took 33 catch-and-shoot three-pointers. 
he has to bring a whole new element to his game, especially if he's going to be playing alongside now two primary offensive players. He's got to be able to play off the ball, and he's got to be able to make defenses pay for ignoring him. That doesn't mean he has to be just you know a three-point shooter, but he's got to be able to move off the ball, make cuts to the basket, etc. But he's definitely the X factor. He can't just be a one-way player. But you got to believe that sort of Popovich can channel DeRozan's uh, that chip on the shoulder, as you said, channel his motivation in the right things. Because, you know, a player like that who's motivated to do certain things isn't necessarily going to do things that are great for the team. But you got to believe in Popovich and that coaching staff to be able to channel uh, DeRozan's uh, motivation into doing the right things, not only to get back to the All-Star game, but just to make the Spurs still a playoff contender. Right. And shout out to the Spurs, adding our guy Brent Berry. Uh, to their front office staff as a VP of basketball ops. We know how smart Brent is and, and what kind of feel he has. Shouldn't we bet on the Spurs based on their history and track record with, you know, the work that R.C. Buford and Pop have always done? I mean, it's probably been one of the more remarkable runs in the history of professional sports to have a team be competitive for this long. And I don't mean just making the playoffs be a legit championship competitor for as many times as they've been in this era. I almost feel like now is the time to really give them the, the benefit of the doubt. I mean, it's not like anything we say means anything. You know, it's not like us doubting them is affects anything. You know, like it's, it's, we're just talking. And so it's it's not like what we say matters, right? You know, of course it, it matters. What are you com- talking about? <laughs> when it comes to the end, <laughs> when it when it comes to, you know, the standings and who makes the playoffs and who doesn't, nobody's going to it does doesn't matter what we said about them sure at the does. beginning of the season. But, I mean, I'll say this. That playoff streak has to come to an end at some point. Mm-hmm. The 50-win streak came to came an to end last yeah. year. Yeah. And so we saw that come to an end. Right. Maybe this is the year the playoff streak comes to an end. We'll see. I don't like predicting, yes, they're going to make it or no, they're going to, you know, I'm not going to say forever. this is You're definitely right. a playoff team or this is definitely not a playoff team. You know, neither of us is going to ever say that. So we don't need to harp on it too much more. Yeah. I do like the idea of just watching this group and what they possibly can do in a situation like this. It's very interesting. Dallas Mavericks have had an unbelievable offseason shoot. Mark Cuban has to go into his pocket, 10 million bucks that he's donating to uh, women's organizations after, I don't even know how to describe that, the scandal that went on with harassment in the workplace issues and on the business side. Didn't affect the basketball side. Is the situation for Rick Carlisle and, and the Mavericks basketball operation insulated enough where they don't have to worry about that sort of stuff and they can just focus on this team trying to dig out of the hole they've been in the past couple of years? You know you got Dirk for at least this could be his final season, but a young developing team, Luka Doncic, Dennis Smith, I mean, just some young developing players in a place where they've been so used to operating at a certain level to see them somewhere far south of that was kind of startling the past couple of years. But do they have a clean slate on the basketball side, at least to start building back up towards the playoffs? I hope so. And this is the most encouraged I've been about the Mavs going into a season in a, in a while, just because of the addition of Doncic and with Smith being in his second season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we saw the skills that he has, the explosiveness that he has. It's a question if he can take that year of experience and come out and be a better player. You know, with him, a lot of it is just improving his pull-up jumper. You know, if he can, he's you know one of the worst pull-up shooters in the league last year. But if he can become a steady shooter off the dribble, that opens up a lot of things for, for both him and his teammates. I'll be curious to see if they pick up the pace a little bit, if they give Smith a little bit more license to run with Doncic as well. And DeAndre Jordan, I mean, as well. 
He had a big man who could clean some glass and get up and down. Yeah. Yeah, they were last in the percentage of their shots that came in the first six seconds of the shot clock. And that's when you can score the easiest. League-wide, that's when shooting is at its best in the first six seconds. So they could pick up the pace a little bit. Right. And that can open up some things offensively. We've talked about it in the past. They basically had the worst starting lineup in the league last year. They had a really good bench unit around Dirk. But if Jordan and Doncic and, you know, an improved Smith means an, an upgrade to their starting lineup, then they can take a serious step forward. And they're talking Dirk off the bench, obviously. Yeah, you know, I think his best role and, you know, his role on that really good second unit that they had last year, he was on the floor with Dwight Powell, uh, Berea. Him and Berea still have, you know, terrific pick and roll chemistry. Yes. That still gets defenses running around and gets him mismatches. So I like playing him alongside Berea and Powell like he did. Devin Harris was a big part of that unit. Right. And so it works last year with him off the bench. You know, last year they would he would start, but he would come off the bench or he would go sit fairly early. Him actually starting on the bench isn't much of a difference, really. And so I think the ceiling is still like 10th in the West or something like that. But I like the direction that they're moving in. Yeah. I'm curious to see what Doncic's arrival does to some other guys. Like, what does it do to Harrison Barnes' game? What kind of role does Doncic play as a rookie? Because if he's got the ball in his hands and they're allowing him to make plays and you have he and Dennis Smith Jr. both as kind of catalysts and facilitators, does that change the way— I think it helps way... Harrison Barnes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Does it improve the way some of those guys are? Yeah, but Harrison yeah. Barnes is not number one option. The last two years have told us that. Yeah. He doesn't get to the rim a lot. He doesn't get to the free throw line a lot. He's just not a number one option. And so if he's now the third guy in that starting lineup offensively, I think that's good. That's mm. a good thing for him. It's a good thing for the team. If he's shooting more off the catch than off the dribble, that's obviously a good thing. I don't know that uh, this is the team DeAndre Jordan was envisioned himself playing on in Dallas. I think he when he... <laughs> When he almost went to Dallas the first time, it was, you know, to be a part of something totally different. I'll be curious to see what kind of role he plays on the team. I think he's going to be fine. I'm not worried about him being productive. I think he's definitely going to be a productive player. But it's just it's a much different group in terms of dynamics and Dirk and where he is now in his career and some of those other guys than what he would have joined if the Clippers hadn't house-napped him in free agency a few summers ago. So to me, that's one of the more curious fits. I'm going to see how he fits with this group now. It's very interesting. He's going to run a lot of pick and roll with Smith and Doncic and as Doncic, well. Yeah. So I think you know he will help them. I mean, his size and his what they call vertical spacing, you know, his ability to— Rim protecting, rim roll, yeah. Oh, yeah, just roll to the rim and catch and finish. Yeah is a great thing for ball handlers. You know, you can just toss it up. Like, I think the Clippers are going to miss that. The ability to just throw the ball somewhere near the rim, that dude's going to go up and get it and finish. As much as we lament the traditional big man not playing as much, there's still value in that, in setting a good screen, rolling to the basket, catching, and being able to finish. There's still value in that when you're playing traditional pick-and-roll basketball. Finally, in the Southwest Division, you talk about traditional pick-and-roll basketball. The Grizzlies had a couple guys that everybody assumed would be one of the most diabolical pick-and-roll tandems in the league in Mike Conley and Marc Gasol, and they haven't had a chance to lean on that at all. Conley either hasn't been healthy enough, they've had some dysfunction, obviously, with Marc Gasol and David Fisdale and their relationship, which led to Fisdale getting removed as coach. J.B. Bickerstaff now has an opportunity, finally, to, you know, to run his own show in Memphis. 22-60 and 60 last year, though, shoot. And I love Kyle Anderson. I think that Garrett Temple's a really nice pickup as a veteran swingman that you have that, you know, brings a lot tangible things and other things you might not pay attention to. 
Jaron Jackson in the draft, Javon Carter, who I think is a very good value pick where they got him. Do they have any shot at all of making some noise at all in the West, or is this just a reclamation project basically right now in Memphis that that's going to take much longer maybe than anybody realizes to get back to the level they might, you know, where maybe as recently as three or four years ago? I'm leaning towards the latter. I think Mm -hmm. even if Conley and Gasol are perfectly healthy this year, I think I just don't know if there's enough around them in this conference specifically yeah what's interesting i think is like their moves this summer i mean they had jaron jackson jr number four pick right like uh, somebody you know a top five pick that you know hopefully is an investment for the next several years yeah but the other moves they made were sort of win now moves right i mean garrett temple's 32 caspi's 30 shelvin mack 28 you know, Those aren't and, exactly win-now players, though, when, you, when you're talking about Well, the, I mean, but that's what they went out and got. They right. went out and got older guys. I mean, Anderson's 25. Like, he's the one guy, I feel, that, that's in the middle of the young guy group and right. the Conley and, and Conley and Gasol. He's sure. the one guy that they would keep either way. If they continue to try to win now or at some point in the next, you know, 12 months, they realize, nope, we got to go backwards right. and somehow say goodbye to one or both of their, their stars. Anderson's the one guy that can sort of fit either game plan. Yeah. You know, other than Jackson, who are the other young guys that you really, really like? I mean, Carter, Javon Carter is sort of maybe like a Tony Allen light type player, a bulldog defender, but he was the 32 pick in the draft. And yeah. Dylan Brooks, um, I, like Dylan I thought Brooks. had a pretty, yeah, he had yeah. a solid rookie year. And maybe is if he takes a step forward offensively, is a decent player. But I think he was also a second round pick, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not like they have a lot of top flight young talent and, it was interesting to me that they sort of went made sort of, like I said, win now moves in this summer rather than trying to pick up other young pieces that, you know, other teams went for. Like you see a team like the Knicks where they take chance on a Moutier or a Hazonia, you know, or yeah. like, OK, let's take a chance. Brooklyn's done the same thing where they take a chance on young, like what they call redrafting guys that didn't really work out but are still early in their careers and may have time to develop. Memphis went sort of in a more veteran direction this summer. The other question I have is Gasol. Like, even if he's healthy, he won Defensive Player of the Year in 2012-13. So that was five years ago. Even if he's the same exact player from that, I just don't know if he can make the same impact defensively as he did five years ago just because of the way offenses have changed in that time. Agreed. You know, with more floor spacing, with fewer minutes for traditional centers. You know, he was terrific at... You know, he wasn't the most athletic rim protector in the league, but he just knows where to be and great at protecting the basket in his own way. And I think like there's less of a priority in that sort of defensive skill set that he has. And so I don't think that he's quite the player that he was five years ago, even if just because of the way that the, the league has evolved around him. It's been one of the sadder things to watch because I was such a fan of the Grizzlies when they were the grit and grind bunch and had all those players who went against all the conventional wisdom in the league at the time. Like, you know, everybody wants to play this way. And they were, to me, like the one team that said, we're going to play this way. And they were successful with it, which was hilarious. And I love a contrarian view. And to have a team kind of fight against whatever the prevailing wisdom is around the league was refreshing. To me now, they seem like they're stuck in the middle shoe. They don't know how to make a break from that past and start over or bridge that gap from there to where they want to go. I'm curious, like, do if they get off to a bad start or say they get off and they're just not very good or, they're, you know, 
they don't see any kind of real progress. Do they decide to cut bait with Conley or Gasol? Would either one of those guys net you what you need in return to, to restart, or do you think that would be a, an option? I think it may be up to the players themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you tell them, hey, we are not making the playoffs this year. We're probably not making the playoffs next year. We have to develop these young guys. Your guy's going to take a back seat. You know, you'll still start, you'll still play 20 to 25 minutes a game, but this is the reality. And if you communicate with them and see if they're willing to mentor these young guys through that process or if they'd rather be elsewhere. Or, and then obviously you see if there's a market and if you can get pieces that will help you three or four years down the line, then you, you obviously have to make that move if it's clear that this year or next year you're just not a playoff team anymore. What were your impressions of uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. after seeing the glimpse of him in summer league? I know you don't watch college hoops as intently as some people do. I had to watch him dunk on my Wolverines a couple times last year. <laughs> I like his type. Like, I like the type of player that he is. Like, mm-hmm. a, a four who can shoot and, you know, possibly defend. You know, I haven't watched enough of him to really right. have a... Like I said, I, I didn't watch college basketball at all unless right. a guy was playing against the, the Hokies. Because, um, <laughs> you know, God knows we don't have anybody that's, that, that's going to be drafted anytime <laughs> soon or, or was drafted. But... um but I know what type of players guys are, and so right. I like the types. Like I say, okay, the Kevin Knox, I like you know yeah. the type of player that he could be. I, I really like Doncic, obviously as well, and so I like the type that you know Jaron Jackson could be. And I'll, his shot looked goofy to me, but if it goes mm-hmm. in, and it's it's all right, and you know <laughs> we'll see. Right, sure. You've been covering the league for how many years now? This will be year fourteen. I right. Believe. I mean. We've got to combine, what, like 34, 35 years of covering the NBA and basketball in general. I mean, I covered college hoops before I covered the league even. So it dawned on me the other day as I was scanning Twitter, and they're talking about comparing a player. Like they were comparing holding Jimmy Butler's career up and basically saying, well, he's he's basically Blake Griffin right now or whatever, as if that's a bad thing. I was seeing people comment on this as if Blake Griffin's some kind of failure or he's some kind of, uh, under, you know, he's underperformed. And I thought, man, the standard is so high, and you forget this sometimes, of all the sports. I don't even think they hold baseball players to this standard. Certainly they don't hold NFL players to this standard. In the NBA, you're a, you either win titles <laughs> or you don't. Like, you could be a Hall of Famer, you could be a 10-time All-Stars, but if you don't win a championship, it's like, well, I don't know that I feel that same thing in any other sport. And it's what makes, for me, so interesting the process of where a guy starts his career and what his journey is and where he finishes. Like, does a guy end up living up to his own hype and his own profile and his own internal expectations? And does he end up living up to those of the public at large, of the basketball public at large? After all these years around the league, covering the league, around basketball, it's the one thing about this as we, you know, knock out all these division previews going into this Fresh season, that has never changed to me. It's weird. I don't know if that's something that is a recent phenomenon, if it's just since the Jordan era. I was too young in the 80s to know, you know, to even put that in context, you know, what the perception was about the league. But certainly since I've been old enough to pay attention to this sort of stuff, this is the only league I can think of where you can have a decade's worth of great stuff into your NBA career. But if you haven't won a title, there are people who still go, eh, you know, he's done a lot of stuff. But it's not, you know, just hasn't quite... I know I have to be careful about it where you focus too much on what a guy can't do yeah. and not enough on what he can do. I assume teams have to be careful about that, too. Yeah. And co- for coaches, too. The great coaches are the ones that, you know, make the most of what a guy can do. Right. And yeah. don't let what a guy can't do get in the way. Right. Yeah. But it's funny. We had this. uh 
as I tweeted something about Ben Simmons being like the basically the best finisher at the rim for among rookies ever, basically, mm-hmm. or for the you know twenty something years that we we have you know shot location data. Right. And Dan Devine from Yahoo tweeted back something like, "Oh, you know, but he's trash, John." You know, just sarcastically. Yeah. You know, he's trash. And I responded. I said, "Dan, the whole league is trash, right? Because every <laughs> single player either didn't win the championship last year, wasn't Finals MVP, or had to get traded to the best team in the league to be the Finals exactly. MVP." Exactly. It's just <laughs> we have reason to criticize every single every guy, thing. right? Like you, you, you didn't win the title last year, or. Draymond Green, yeah, yeah, you won a championship, but you got carried by Kevin Durant. You need Kevin Durant to make all those big shots to win the title. And oh yeah, Kevin Durant, you won a championship, you won Finals MVP, but yeah, you you jumped on the best team in the league. You left your first team for to join the best team in the league after they won seventy three games, right? Like we can, yeah. we can take every guy in the league and just sort of trash you know and and it's part of the sort of social media thing and but yeah i do agree like that's why i'm partly glad that i just focus on the numbers and i can explain to you what a guy does good and what a guy does poorly but at the same time even when i do that i still have to remind myself to hey let's not just focus on why a guy is not the best player in the league or why he's not the absolute best and remember you know why he is good and why he has value i just catch myself sometimes falling into the trap of those conversations with people you know like how easy it is to nitpick a guy's career or criticize a guy's game and you think man all the work you know is going into this if we had as many perfect players as people wish we did, we'd be arguing about more than five or six dudes as the greatest player of all time every year. The one I have to remind myself with is Westbrook. You know, like yeah. the way he plays, I'm not a fan. Like, right. But like, I have to remind myself, just appreciate this guy is, is amazing, like yeah. in what he does, yeah. you know, and we have to appreciate that. Like, and yeah, I look at the triple double, like, oh, he got, he got another, he, he <laughs> Average a triple-double, but how many free throws did his teammates let him rebound? You know, like that's how much did he hold the ball so that he can get the assist? You know, like that always is in the back of my mind, but I still have to appreciate just watching him, being able to watch him play both on TV and in person and just seeing, you know, the effort and the energy that he brings to every single every single game and just the freak that he is. Like yeah. that's the one guy where I it's a battle of the analytical side of me and the fan side of me. Yeah, you know? we got to be got to be mindful not to be haters all the time. That wraps it up for our uh, division previews around the NBA. You can find all of our division previews on nba.com. Check out the Hangtime podcast page. We'll be back Thursday with our next episode. In the meantime, be sure to read Sean Powell's 30 Teams in 30 Days series on NBA.com and shoot your one team once that series is fantastic. I recommend everybody check it out. If you haven't already, subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for episodes all season long. I'm Seiko Smith. It's my main man, John Schumann in New Jersey, and we will see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for a new episode every Thursday this season. And as always, say Kuna Matata.